Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Vincent. You can find us and other podcasts at reformpodcast.com. Excuse me. Also, check out our blog at theparticularbaptist.net and shout out to some of our uh, patrons, David and Stephen, and others who have been gracious in supporting us through Patreon. If you'd like to support us through Patreon, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash the particular Baptist. And uh, you can see the offerings that we have there. It's a great way to support the ministry. All right. So back in the saddle today, I was out last week. I was sick. I had a had a cold. I think I still have some remnants of it left over, um, but I was just not not feeling up for it last week. Uh, and being a one man show, you know, the, the show kind of lives or dies without uh, me being on here. So. I needed to take a break last week um, and recover. So back in the saddle, hopefully be back in our, our regular cadence here. But anyways, diving into what may seem old news at this point. I know that this came out a little while ago. Um, and uh, you need some lighting, dude. I have lighting. I got a light right here and I got a light behind me. I might need to uh, adjust it a little bit better. I don't know. Um, I'm actually playing around with the new light, so maybe I need to adjust it a little bit. Um, but yeah, thank you for the comment, Jonathan. Um, but anyways, going back to, to what I was saying earlier, kind of the, you know, talking about a topic that's, you know, might be a little outdated at this point, but going back to the Alistair Begg situation, uh, and, and today I'm not really focusing on the Alistair Begg situation as such, I'm using it as an more as as an example rather than diving into it. There have been other men that have other men, other people who have, you know, dived into that, uh, dived into that discussion uh, more, and I think have answered it in you know a biblical fashion, at least in terms of. What you should and shouldn't do in a situation like Alistair Begg said, um, you know, and just a reminder, the situation had to do with him saying what he would recommend. It was some grandmother, I believe, what he would recommend that this grandmother do for a particular gay wedding. Right. And he recommended that she should go to this wedding and give a gift uh, I've seen people suggest what the gift is, but at the very least, giving a gift, right? So while he stands against gay marriage, at least verbally, you know, he was fine with someone attending uh, a gay wedding to show the love of Christ to the couple in this particular situation. And again, I, I'm not going to dive too much into it. There's There's been 10 million responses to it already. Um, I don't need to beat a dead horse, but I will say in passing, I, I do think Beg is a brother. I think he's fallen into error, um, but I think he's going to be remembered primarily for this screw up, if you will, more than uh, anything in his ministry. I, I think that's just the reality of it. You know, you, you have a, a, a ministry that goes on for 40 plus years. And, you know, you've been hitting all the marks and then you do something. And this is not something that's a small issue. It, it's a significant issue. 
and people are going to associate you with that from now on. That's just how it is. You know, they might remember you for the good that you did, but it, I think it's always going to be overshadowed by that one thing you did at the end, toward the end of your ministry. As my, my dad used to say, uh, to me growing up it's not how you start it's how you finish right how you finish matters anybody can start off well anyone can start off strong but if you finish poorly how you started really won't matter that much or at all right you got to finish strong uh, and that's not to say that men are going to be perfect um, but it's a it's a consequence it's a reality if uh, of something of this caliber in terms of the issue that was being dealt with i think it's it's a reality that um, that's gonna, that's gonna happen. So I think this is going to haunt him for the rest of his, uh, ministry at least. And, you know, we, we hope that he turns away from that and that, uh, you know, it, it, he comes back to a right understanding of these things, but I think it's, it's definitely going to, to haunt him uh, now that this has happened. But, that aside, again, the, the goal of this episode is not to focus on the issue as such, but use it as an example for, for a discussion today. One thing I haven't really seen or I haven't heard people talking about in the, you know, the swirl of reactions that are going around here is how this reaction to Begg's comments compares to how the church reacts to other serious matters that come up in the church, especially in reform circles. There seems to me to be this partial reaction when it comes to sin being presented. There seem to be other sins that are acceptable, as the late Jerry Bridges might have put it. You know, he has that book, I think it's called Acceptable Sins, right? Kind of the same principle. Oh, yeah, there's sins that we are really, you know, that we kind of accept, right? And I think that there is a sense where we can see that happening here, okay? And that's not to say that recoiling at the sin of homosexuality into something like what Begg said is bad. That's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, and it, But in fact, I'm actually glad people have recoiled at what Begg said. I think that was, that was helpful. I think it was good. And I think what it shows is there's still a sensitivity to conscience. The natural order has not been completely suppressed in the church and that people still recognize that this is a serious matter, um, and I think that uh, it it shows that there are those who have not compromised on this issue. However, reacting properly in one area, while not to others, is also problematic, or is problematic, okay? So I, I think that what we see in the church today is a lopsided response to an overemphasis on maybe not an overemphasis necessarily, but emphasizing issues correctly while neglecting others uh, to detriment, which I think is uh, really what I'm getting at today. Now, what's interesting is the reaction to Beg, at least in part, we can see from different organizations. We had Beg being removed from the Shepherds Conference within days of his initial statement being made. Uh, and then we also see Ligonier Ministries removing his removing him from RefNet, which I think is like their one of the radio programs or something like that, radio platforms. And then American Family Radio also removed him. And this was done very quickly, without significant length of time. I don't know to what extent these guys went and talked to him. I know American Family Radio did 
try to reach out to him or at least talk to him or something. They, they at least tried to make contact with him. I don't know about Shepard's conference or Ligonier. I'm not going to speak to that or speculate, but it was done quickly. They cut him off, so to speak, from those platforms. Uh, but one thing that's interesting is we see with like an issue like this, he's being cut off and he's persisting in these things, right? He's He's been confronted, he's been called out, and he's publicly said that essentially that he doesn't feel the need to repent, right? But what we see in other places, in other serious matters as well, we have people being platformed as if nothing is wrong, that also teach things that would stop communion of saints in some way. Okay, and I'm going to pick on G3 today. Now that might make ruffle some feathers a little bit. It's not my intention, but uh, G3 just gives a lot of low-hanging fruit. <laughs> They're easy to pick on. Uh, so I think this will be uh, my example here. I think will hopefully illustrate my point. Uh, but if we look on, if we look at G3, and I think their handling of fundamental error while focusing on areas that are not fundamental, or at least uh, focusing on those things rightly, maybe, but neglecting others and having this lopsided view of what's fundamental or or, folk, or what the focus should be. So revisiting Owen Strand, and I'm seeing some comments come in here, so I may stop and look. Let's see. Jonathan said it. It seems it just seems like a small issue. I don't agree with Beg, but honestly, who cares? There's no way worse things that happen every week in almost every church, people being unkind, hospitable, etc. Um, I would disagree with you there, Jonathan. Thank you for the comment, by the way. I think that the issue of homosexuality is seen as, uh, I wouldn't say it's a fundamental issue that's going to put you out of the faith necessarily if you fall on one uh, side or the other. I want to be careful about that. Uh, however, it is an abomination in the eyes of God. It's not seen as any other sin, relatively speaking. It is treated in uh, Leviticus 18 as something especially wicked. Uh, so I think it is a serious matter. And when you see pastors come out, and especially pastors who have a long history of uh, orthodoxy and staying true, and then they come out and they seem to be capitulating on issues like this, uh, it raises concern at the very least. And I, I think there is, we shouldn't throw up our hands and say, who cares? You know, because it can be indicative of other matters or other serious issues that are underlining, or, or it could be, uh, you know, it, it could be the sign of, of going down uh, bad road. And I, I see you say here, he wasn't condoning being gay. Well, at least explicitly, that's what he says. But as we know, if you go to a gay wedding or any wedding in general, you are condoning that relationship. So while that might not be his intention, uh, that's the logical conclusion of what he's saying, which is why it is a serious matter. Right. Uh, so I think the again, I, I think the reaction to uh, his to his statements, I think the recoiling at least I think was warranted uh, because it could be indicative of other things that are going on. Um, but he explicitly, you know, he explicitly says that homosexuality is sin. I appreciate that. 
but this is not consistent with that statement, his actions here. So it raises concern. Uh, Pastor Briggs, thanks for listening in the comment. He is still on family radio. Heard him yesterday, February 23rd, maybe contractual. Oh, okay. Well, good to point out. Yeah, that could be. Maybe maybe it's like, okay, we're going to remove you, but we're going to keep you on through the month of February or something like that. That could be as well. Thank you for pointing that out, brother. Appreciate it. All right. Revisiting G3. So looking at Owen Strand. Owen Strand is, a is I think, a fairly regular speaker, at least at, at G3. He's, you know, had that controversy in recent years regarding his understanding of the sun in uh, relation to the, the rest of the persons of the Trinity, especially as it relates to the father. Right. Revisiting Owen Strand. Uh, he continues to peddle this idea that the son is at intra or within God subordinate to the father. Right. And this is, of course, at least heterodox and, and should be held at least to the same standard as justification by faith alone. Um, and this is not just a submission of order of relations, but an actual hierarchical submission. The son is in obedience submitting to the father uh, within the uh, the Trinitarian Godhead. And that's been dealt with. We've uh, I believe we've dealt with that on the show. I'm not going to go into this again. The point is not to be myopic on these guys, but use these as examples. Go back and listen to, we have multiple episodes on the Trinity, uh, talking about three centers of consciousness to the Father, talking about uh, the Trinity as a whole. You can go and see our Trinitarian doctrine in, in past episodes. I'm not getting into that here. Um, but the point is, we have someone who is deviating on fundamentals, right? On who God is, on the Trinity, which is, have been historically seen as a fundamental article of Christian religion. And we see him continuously being invited to speak at G3, right? And, and also to teach at an allegedly Reformed Baptist seminary, uh, where Jeff Johnson is head at Grace Bible Theological Seminary, I think it's called, in Conway, Arkansas. And I think an example of this, too, if you look at G3's website, they have this church network, right, where you can find different churches that are like-minded, so to speak. Um, and they have kind of the qualifications there. And I think this will illustrate kind of the lopsided understanding that I'm, I'm bringing out today. Again, I'm using G3 as an example. It's not to pick on G3 as such. They just have the low-hanging fruit that allows me to do this, I think, pretty easily. But they have this, uh, this statement as it relates to the qualifications. They say the pastors of the church must, at a minimum, affirm the 1689, even if the church's statement of faith is not officially the 1689. If you cannot affirm everything within the 1689, or if you have some qualifications, you can provide an explanation of the qualifications in your application. Our aim is to be as like-minded as possible as we unite around common doctrinal standards. And then finally, they say, statement on social justice and the gospel, the pastors or the church must be willing to sign the SSJNG. If for some reason the pastors are unable to sign based on a convictional manner, an explanation will be necessary. So there is this, these qualifications. So you have to kind of sort of wishy-washy hold to the 1689, but on the statement on social justice and the gospel, at the very least, the pastor, the pastors of the church must be willing to sign this statement. Okay. Now, I think it this is important because what I think it shows is that you can have kind of this 
there, there's no strictness regarding the doctrinal standards that need to be held here from a reform perspective, even though they're claiming to be a reform Baptist organization, it seems. But this specific statement, which is specifically related to social issues, is non-negotiable. Right? You must be willing to sign this if you're going to be part of it. Now, they, it says they can, they uh, must submit qualifications if they have any. They can't just, but they still have to sign this. Okay. However, if you look at uh, the requirements for affirming the 1689, right? If you cannot affirm everything within the 1689, or if you have some qualifications, you can provide an explanation, right? It's not required, but you can, right? So that implies that, you know, this doctrinal unity is not really necessary around this particular, um, around this particular confession. Which, of course, this confession, those of us who know our confession well, they know, or you would know that this, this confession has core doctrines in it, doctrine of God, doctrine of scripture, justification, um, doctrine of salvation. I mean, if you're going to give a qualification like this, you have to be able to say, yes, you must provide some sort of explanation of your exceptions, because what if those exceptions somehow deviate from fundamentals of the faith. You know, you have to deal with that. Why would you fellowship with a church that doesn't believe in justification by faith alone or denies the Trinity or doesn't believe scripture is our final authority of faith and practice? Why would you do that? Right. So it seems that there is this lopsided approach to what is required and what isn't. And I think that kind of shows. Now, if you look at the, the statement on social justice in the gospel, uh, I was reading some of it last night, very eye-opening. They say this in the introduction. It says, quote, clarity on these issues will fortify believers and churches to withstand the onslaught of dangerous and false teachings that threaten the gospel, misrepresent scripture, and lead people away from the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Now, what I would like to know is why errors on God, such as the hierarchical subordination of the Son, are not seemingly or apparently a threat to the gospel in their mind, at least in a primary sense, but for some reason, social issues are. That would be an interesting discussion to have with them, but that seems to remain unanswered. But that would be something uh, I think that would be helpful to, to get clarity on, because they're clearly seeing certain social issues as having gospel implications, but they're willing to allow someone who deviates on a fundamental, on a fundamental area as it relates to God uh, speak at their conferences and, and, you know, they partner with them. I th again, I think there's a there's a lopsided emphasis here. So you can see this emphasis on on social issues that has its own category requirement that requires full subscription, apparently. Uh, and then we see that each church can very loosely hold to the confession of faith. That isn't seen as very important, but holding to this social uh, justice statement is right. You have to be. Uh, you know, they're they're not seeing this this proper balance here and having this well-rounded understanding of what churches and communion should hold to is as fundamental. Right. So is it really any wonder that someone like Owen Strand, uh, who who, again, has spoken multiple times at at G3 conferences, so they partner with them um, and has been corrected on the issue of EFS multiple times, eternal functional subordination or eternal subordination, they're basically all the same thing. They're just different names for it, um, but continues to persist in that. 
and he's allowed to hold the stage as if it's not a crucial issue. Now, so I think this this kind of brings out an example of what I'm talking about here. We have this reaction to social issues like homosexuality, which is not a bad thing. Again, I'm not saying that. It's good that we react to those things. It's good that we see those things as an abomination. It's good that we see those things as wicked. But doing so to the neglect of other key issues, especially ones that are actually fundamental issues, is problematic. I'm seeing the comments come in here, so let me take a peek here. Uh, Jonathan, it isn't homosexual. But it isn't homosexuality. It was a gift giving to uh, a gay guy. Well, it was more than just giving a gift. It was attending the gay wedding. So, you know, double whamming there in terms of support. Uh, he wasn't condoning being gay. Yep, I think I addressed that. Uh, you said, wait, all he said was give a gift. And even if he said only if they know you disapprove, you're being so judgmental. Uh, I I am able to judge people based on what the scriptures teach. Scripture teaches that homosexuality is an abomination to God. It is against nature, Romans 1, Leviticus 18, and we can judge based on a righteous judgment as Jesus told us to. We have the scriptures. We can judge based uh, on that. His actions, what he was saying is that effectively you can condone this behavior. Now, he would deny that explicitly, but he's not being consistent with his own actions. There is a time to be judgmental to even to brethren who deviate on serious matters. And we do so in the authority of scripture, not on our own feelings about what something is, but what God has revealed in his word. So I hope that clarifies a little bit, Jonathan. Uh, majoring on the minors from William Four. Uh, yes, there does seem to be uh, maybe somewhat of a majoring on the minors there. Right, and what we said, Brother Dan Aiden. Hey, brother, how you doing? Didn't beg advice to attend gay weddings? Yes, he did, at least in this specific instance of the example he was giving. I don't know if it was something that he was saying generally, because I think he said that maybe in another situation he wouldn't give that advice. But in the particular situation he was referring to, he was recommending that this woman attend uh, this gay wedding. How is he not condoning being gay if attending a gay wedding is okay? Well, it's a good question. I would chalk it up because he has explicitly said that he does not condone homosexuality, and he's been clear on that. I would say he's being inconsistent. Uh, but if it's taken to its logical conclusion, then sure, it doesn't make any sense, right? They're, they're two contradictory things, right? And I think that's kind of where people are going with this. Um, good. Uh, thank you for the comments, everybody. Appreciate it. Keep them coming. Um, I'll try to address them, uh, you know, kind of as we go along here. All right. So going back to uh, to G3. Uh, what's interesting is I was kind of preparing for this. You know, I, I had the week off last week. Right. So it gave me more time to think through what I was going to say. And some more things came out. Right. Especially uh, around own strand, at least. And he posted something on Twitter yesterday that I found kind of interesting. Uh, he said, quote, it's fair game for theologians to debate theology proper, but we should do so in charity and humility. Sadly, Matthew Barrett has repeatedly refused to do so. This is in reference to something Matthew Barrett said about John Frame. He goes on to say, let's practice godly theological disagreement. This fleshly cancel culture stuff is not it. Humility is Christ-like, end quote. Now, I find that kind of interesting because I think it, it kind of proves my point. Right. 
these issues such as God, and we're using God here because that's the that's where Owen Strand's, I think, major issue is here in his theological system, not just with subordination. I mean, he's condoned uh, Jeff Johnson's book here um, and also Jeff Johnson's new book here. All we're going to be responding to this one here soon. And we've already responded to this one on the show. You can go back and look at it. But I think as we demonstrated, it's, um, you know, problematic. But he doesn't see this doctrine, the doctrine of God, theology proper, as a fundamental issue. It's an area, we, you know, we should just, we can have disagreement. We can have debate. We can, you know, respectfully disagree, right? So again, you can see this emphasis in the wrong place, right? Or in maybe in another place he might emphasize correctly, but again, he's might be ne he's neglecting at the very least over here, right? These things are not seen as fundamental to him and as uh, very important. Now, it's interesting in the tradition that Owen Strand falls into, Reformed Baptists. We look at particular Baptist tradition, not even not not even close to to what he's trying to say here, right? <laughs> If we look at Nehemiah Cox, I've posted this on my Twitter. I want it drilled into people's heads. This is from page 22 of A Vindication of the Truth from Nehemiah Cox, who is probably one of the, at least one of the authors of the 1677-1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. So his theology is going to have direct impact uh, on our confession, right? if he was one of the authors, which he likely was. He said, quote, on page 22, there can be no gospel peace without truth, nor communion of saints without an agreement and fundamental principles of the Christian religion. And one of those things that he was addressing, you got to remember who, who Cox is addressing here. Cox is addressing Thomas Collier, who was a particular Baptist gone heretic. He, he started teaching uh, a neglecting biblical teaching on fundamental issues of salvation, the gospel, God. So theology proper is part of what Cox is talking about here. It's not just salvation. It's it, directly, it's, it's also about God, right? Because Collier was saying uh, things like the sun was created and there were other issues that came up with theology proper. So this is flowing through Cox's mind here. Theology proper, doctrine of God. It's a fundamental principle of Christian religion, not something we can just have a polite disagreement on, right? There's no gospel peace without truth, nor communion of saints without an agreement in the fundamental principles of the Christian religion. Cox even thought that denying perseverance of the saints was a fundamental doctrine. So when he says that statement, he's also got that flowing around in his mind. And it's interesting, we tend to be quite tolerant of that today, but for Cox, it was non-negotiable. Now, whether that's, you know, whether our response to that is correct or not, that's up for debate. But it's just worth pointing out the difference in response historically as it relates to that issue versus how we see today. It was non-negotiable. It was seen as a, a fundamental doctrine. You didn't believe, you believe you could lose your salvation. Well, <laughs> you're, you're not believing in, in fundamentals of the faith here. You're denying those things, right? And then eventually we see that Thomas Collier was written out, right? He was confronted. He was uh, 
he this was part of that confrontation, right? They were trying to correct him and he refused to repent. And they the churches eventually had to say, no, you're heretic and we're writing you off. Right. Uh, and there's a Sam Renahan is a really helpful discussion about that in his book, The Petty France Church, part one, which you can find on Amazon. Really helpful. OK, but. It's just interesting that you see like Strand's response to this is that it's not fundamental. It's not a critical issue. It's something we can just we should cheerfully disagree on, so to speak. But for people in his own tradition, hundreds of years earlier, this was not seen that in the Reformed tradition in general. I mean, I'm going to go to other examples here, not just particular Baptists, but it's always helpful when you're criticizing someone, I think, to, to look at their own tradition, right? If your own tradition doesn't even stack up with the with what you believe, then, you know, you might want to slow down a little bit and uh, and, you know, take a step back and feel like, OK, maybe maybe I'm off here. Um, but I, I think it's it's important to see that. Obstinance and persistence in this false doctrine, according to the particular Baptist, was to put oneself outside of the faith. OK, now I'm not saying necessarily that at least publicly that that strand is out of the faith okay i think ultimately that's an ecclesiastical call as was done with the particular baptists right they criticized him publicly but they didn't formally declare him a heretic until he uh, they had gone through the proper steps and they did so ecclesiastically but it does mean at the very least there should not be a treating of the situation as if it's a secondary difference as if it's a matter of christian liberty and I think that there should be disassociation, at least at the collaboration level, you know, such as conferences, speaking engagements in a similar fashion that was uh, maybe in a similar fashion that was done with Beg. Now, whether those organizations cut off Beg too early, you know, that might be a, up for discussion. But I think the general principle is there um, that we see that probably should have been had uh you know, for someone like like Strand, right? You're not writing him out of the kingdom necessarily, but you're like you're you're deviating on a fundamental doctrine here. We need to take you aside and work this out, um, at the very least, at least at first, and not have you platform yourself and potentially put your false doctrine out there, right, in a way that could trip people up. Especially since it's a public forum, it's accessible to a lot of people. It could cause confusion, right? It's not a matter of Christian liberty. It's a fundamental doctrine, right? So it has to be it has to be dealt with. Now, what's kind of funny, if you read that statement on social justice in the gospel, they have an entire section on heresy. <laughs> and I found it, I, I read it, and it was just kind of ironic to me. Uh, I'm going to read the affirmation part of it so you can just get an idea. So it says, quote, we affirm that heresy is a denial of or departure from a doctrine that is essential to the Christian faith. We further affirm that heresy often involves the replacement of key essential truths with variant concepts or the elevation of non-essentials to the status of essentials. To embrace heresy is to depart from the faith once delivered to the saints and thus be on a path towards spiritual destruction. We affirm that the accusation of heresy should be reserved for those departures from the Christian truth that destroy the weight-bearing doctrines of the redemptive core of Scripture. We affirm that accusations of heresy should be accompanied with clear evidence of such destructive beliefs. Now, it's funny, on that standard, someone like Owen Strand should be a heretic, right? 
This is the standard of G3 on what they believe heresy is. And they don't see EFS or, you know, deviation on the doctrine of God in other areas that Strand seems to believe since he has clearly condoned books like this and, and uh, Jeff's work. They don't see those things as deviation from fundamental doctrines. They just don't. They don't treat it that way. He's allowed to roam the hall, so to speak, right? Now, looking a little bit more historically, so I looked at particular Baptists. Again, getting God wrong in the Reformed tradition, it was considered, you were just written off. It, there didn't seem to be a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of daylight between when you said something and when you were written off. Now, I think that at least the particular Baptist tried to work with Collier and say, look, dude, maybe you just misspoke. Maybe you're just, you, you know, you woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Maybe someone hit you in the head and you just need to be jolted a little bit back into reality. Okay, you, you got to admire their patience with the guy, right? And I think there's there's a lot of biblical truth there. But I think generally speaking, you can see that this was just not even an area of debate. It was just, no, there, there's no daylight that can be given in terms of a position like that. There can be discussion about it, but it's treated as a fundamental issue and it's set up front what it is, right? If you're looking at uh, it, Westminster Divine, Francis Chanel. If you look at his book, um, The Divine Triunity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's a thick book, uh, and I have a facsimile, so it's not very easy to read, but it's definitely a, a helpful work. But on the title page, he's, he basically implies that those who do not hold to biblical doctrine of God, as he presents here, are not Christians, okay? Uh, we also have... Francis Turden in a couple different places in his institutes. He says, quote, thus the question comes to this, whether the mystery of the Trinity is a fundamental article necessary to the faith of all believers so that not only the denial, but even the ignorance of it cannot consist with salvation. This, the adversaries deny, we affirm, end quote. That's from uh, page 261 of volume one of his institutes. So even an ignorance of the Trinity in Turretin's mind was seen as putting you out of the kingdom, right? Even in ignorance, not just an outright denial, but just, well, I didn't know about it. Well, too bad, you're not a Christian. Because <laughs> it was fundamental. You had to believe it in order to be a Christian. It was a gospel issue. Um, page 262, on the next page, Turton says this, quote, various fundamental doctrines depend upon this article, such as the doctrines concerning the sending of the Son, his advent in the flesh, his satisfaction, the mission of the Holy Spirit, and his divine works and the like, end quote. And I think he's talking about the Trinity there. So he's saying that there are other fundamental doctrines uh, that come into play. They're so intricately tied together that to deny one is to undermine the faith. I mean, you can't hold to the faith if you deny uh, fundamental doctrines. So I think you can see the difference between classical ways of handling these things and modern ways of doing these things, right? He talks about how the adversaries, i.e. heretics, were the ones who didn't take this doctrine, the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity seriously as they should have. This means to take this doctrine in any lesson of fundamental is to act like the heretics, right? It might not necessarily make you a heretic, but you're acting like them, right? Which is dangerous. <laughs> this is not how the Orthodox act. This is how our adversaries, the heretics, act. This is not seen as a fundamental doctrine among the heretics. 
Tertullian also saw that the sending of the Son was a fundamental doctrine, which of course has to do directly with Owen Strand's understanding of the submission of the Son, right? So, you know, and of course there are many that think this is an area of cheerful disagreement, as Strand does, but as we've seen, God is non-negotiable, right? So, Again, you see, I'm using Strand and G3 as an example to illustrate my point of this lopsided emphasis on things, right? You see today, we're reacting to the social issues. We're reacting to homosexuality, all of which, especially the homosexuality, again, good, biblical, condoned, right? At least in terms of the just the recoiling of it and that this is seen as something that, oh, this is not good or, or what people are saying about homosexuality in terms of going to gay weddings or whatever. That's good that you are recoiling to that. But we also see this cloud rolling around, so to speak, of people who are seeing fundamental doctrines being put aside. They're just not seen as important or as, or as critical enough to be fundamentals. They're just not. And this is in our circles. This isn't a fringe group, right? G3 is not a fringe group in Reformed Baptist circles. I mean, they're, I guess you could say, on the front lines in a lot of ways. And it, they're almost like the Ligonier of Reformed Baptists, if I had to categorize them. So this is not some kind of fringe group, right? So it it's definitely, I think, more alarming that these this type of attitude of maybe reacting rightly in one way to certain things while neglecting other things is very close to home, right? And I think that's that's more alarming than if this came from some fringe group out in the ether somewhere, right? It, it's, it makes it more confusing, I think, for people who they, these people are people who claim to be confessional, claim to be part of the Reformed tradition, but don't seem to follow that tradition as it relates to how to treat these doctrines, right? And I think that's just a that's just a, a, a place where confusion is going to thrive and where people are just going to be misled. You know, I, I think that's I think that's where you're going to find that. And it, I don't think that's an necessarily intentional on the part of G3, but I think that's a, a consequence if you're not careful, right? Right. So looking at, you know, they the emphasize social issues, right? And while social issues are not in themselves fundamental articles, there may be some social justice philosophies that maybe could have gospel implications, right? And as it relates to G3, they may see some of those things as having real gospel implications, okay. And I think those might be worth talking about if so, but you know, social issues per se are not the mission of the church. And I think it's good to be reminded of that, right? We see the great commission of Christ. It's to make disciples. It's to spread the gospel and the local church through primarily through the preaching of the word of God on a weekly basis on his instituted day, the Lord's day in the means of grace, baptism and the Lord's supper uh, in terms of those ordinances and those sacraments, right? That's how God builds disciples. That's how God makes disciples. Preaching of the word, the gospel, and the growing of the people of God through the preaching of the word, gospel, and his sacraments. So we have to focus on those things, right? Be careful not to let social issues become uh, the main 
thing. And I'm not necessarily saying that G3 is doing that either. I think it's just good to be reminded of that as we're talking about these things. Uh, because it, I think, again, something in reform circles is people tend to be lopsided on that issue as well. Social issues become such a hot point and people emphasize things. I mean, and then you have entire theologies surrounding social issues such as theonomy or uh, Christian nationalism as espoused by Stephen Wolf and his followers uh, with, you know, just this overemphasis on culture, which is not a good thing. Um, so our goal as a church, as the church, should be to focus on preaching, focus on those things that God has prescribed. And I think Ephesians 4, 11 through 15 is really helpful here. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to be a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ. So, what does it say? He gave apostles, prophets, some evangelists, and pastors, teachers. So, teaching the word of God is the focus here, right? And what is the purpose of it ultimately? It's to bring the people of God, to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And why is this the case? So that we stay away from false doctrine. It's to guard us, right? It's a guard. It's to protect us. It's to keep us from error. So we're not blown around by everything that comes our way. We can say, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. Because the scriptures say this, 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 and this, right? It's to build us up so that we are strengthened in the faith. So this is why having a well-rounded emphasis on those things that God has tried focusing on the fundamentals and then branching out to other things, secondary matters in an appropriate way is so important, right? Or again, as I said before, maybe focusing, you know, saying something is fundamental and saying that correctly, but also neglecting other things that are also fundamental. So not having this well-rounded understanding and emphasis on fundamentals and just having a, a proper emphasis on things that should be emphasized and putting secondary things aside that should be secondarily emphasized. So I, I think those things are very, very important. Um, and I, I think we just have to guard ourselves. So again, so some takeaways, you know, are we attempting to be well-balanced in our reaction to sins? Homosexuality is not the only sin that is an abomination in the scriptures, right? Homosexuality is most certainly, I think, particularly heinous. And I think Leviticus 18 makes that very clear. But there are also other sins that are great and sinful. And again, fundamental doctrines of the faith are absolutely sinful at a fundamental level and, and should be taken seriously. But I think my point is, are we striving to react to sin properly? Yes, false doctrine is sin too, right? It is sin. False doctrine is sin. There are secondary matters we can disagree on. We can be patient with more than other things. And, and even in fundamentals, we should be patient 
with professing Christians if they deviate it first and seek their restoration, right? We should, we our first reaction shouldn't be to wipe people off the map if they deviate on a fundamental. It's the persistence of it in light of correction, then the conversation changes, right? That That's very different. And we have Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8, that talk about scruples and issues of conscience that we can uh, be patient with other brethren on and slow down with other brother with, you know, and, and walk alongside them and love them and, and hold back our freedom and not flaunt it in front of them, etc. But on fundamentals, we can't do that. We, we have to, we have to be firm in, in what we believe we have to say, this is what the scriptures say. We, we cannot, we cannot deviate from that. Okay. We have to we have to be careful there. So another question: Are pastors neglecting their flo- their flocks by deliberately focusing on secondary matters while your people know little to nothing about fundamentals of the faith? Are you so wrapped up in politics and culture that you forget to teach your people who God is, His Son, and the gospel, or the ordinary means of grace used? Those are all questions to ask. And and I think again, I th- I think what the Alistair Begg situation is doing is it's not only is it revealing that people are still sensitive in their conscience that god's natural order has not been stamped out yet in terms of people's consciences i think it's showing that there are blind spots in the church that really need to be shored up especially on the issue of god which has been in more uh, come in more light in recent years as its recovery is being pulled back onto the scene people are recovering historical understandings and diving into the scriptures more and more spotlight is being shown on these dark areas within the church where people have either neglected teaches things or don't want to be corrected on these things or who don't care about these things you know whatever the case might be i think that it's showing that there are these big blind spots so when things like this with alistair come out it just i think it it shows me that there is a lopsided emphasis and that the church needs to revisit those fundamentals and and not only have a reaction to things like that but react properly to the other fundamental areas in other ways that we need to ensure that we're focusing on because they have eternal consequences if they are not believed if they are neglected uh, and if they are denied. So it, it's it's of utmost importance that the church do that. And looking back in the comments here, uh, I know there are quite a bit that came here. T.D. Hale, good morning. Thanks for joining today. Uh, G. and the Baptist begged, totally cucked and doubled down and tripled down. He definitely, uh, he definitely didn't, he at least doubled down because he, I think it was the week after he said those things and, and he got a lot of pushback. I think after that, he spoke at the next Sunday service and basically said he didn't need to repent. I could be wrong about the timeline, but he definitely, he at least doubled down and was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to change my mind on that. Uh, he does, does all the fuck he's getting. Jonathan, he's not condoning being gay because he said, I don't condone being gay and also only attending a gay wedding if the people know you don't approve. Also, and also only attend a gay wedding if the people know 
you don't approve of being gay. Again, it doesn't matter by going to a wedding and you don't, you know, there's that statement, uh, speak now or forever hold your peace, right? If you don't speak, you're, it, you're condoning it by silence, right? And so the, the nature of a wedding is to celebrate something, right? You're celebrating the union of two people. And if it's a abomination that you're celebrating there, then why would you participate in that, right? To me, it, it falls in line with Paul's comments in 1 Corinthians about attending idolatrous feasts, right? Why would a Christian do that? You know, it, it's a religious ceremony, just like the Lord's Supper is, right? And, and it, as it relates to idolatrous feasts versus the Lord's Supper, but as it relates to a gay wedding, you are celebrating that act, that union. So why would you participate in that, right? And and I agree. He's he's very clear that he doesn't stand with gay marriage. But when you say something that contradicts that, that would logically lead to you condoning it, uh, it's definitely going to cause confusion. And it's because going to a wedding is, in fact, supporting the union uh, to suggest that to someone when the union is illicit and unbiblical is to be problematic. So, yeah, he's being contradictory in his statements at the very least. Right. Aiden Owen Strand, the guy who said strict subscription and I see in Creed is a Roman Catholic understanding of Sola Scriptura. Oh, well, that I don't remember reading that, but OK, <laughs> that would not surprise me uh, from Strand. Uh, people in Refor Reformed Baptist circles, we need some help. That's for sure. Uh, I don't think actions speak louder than words. Yeah, and I, I'm not going to say outright that that uh beg is outright supporting gay marriage i think he's being inconsistent at the very least but when you tell someone to do that what you're telling someone to do in effect is to support gay marriage because of the nature of a wedding in the first place even if that's not his intention that's what you're saying right so you have to be careful there all right well thanks for all the comments everybody and everybody tuning in today and uh, we had quite a quite a few people on the live today um, but I think that's all we'll have last week. Next week, we will have uh, a guest on the show, Pastor Jim Butler from the Chilliwack Church, Grace, um, Free Grace Baptist Church, I think it is in Chilliwack, British Columbia. It will be on the show next week. Uh, so we look forward to that. Hope this has been a helpful episode. Uh, I hope it's been bring some clarity, I think, to the broader state of the church, not just being myopic on, on Alistair Begg, but looking at his actions in relation to the broader state of the church. So hopefully this has been helpful and, and bring some clarity, but thanks for joining me today, everybody. I, I appreciate your support and for tuning in and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Take care.